Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont. If you're in our area, we wanted to let you know that we have community groups starting back again in September. So check out that and other ministries we have going on here at newkingchurch.com. Today's scripture is from Matthew chapter 5, 5 through 13. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are, those who persecute, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. This is the word of the Lord. All right, thank you. You can have a seat. Well, good morning, everybody. How are we doing this morning? Good? Glad to be here? I'm glad to be here. Um, I'm, I'm absolutely loving this series going through Matthew. I'm excited about this part of the series going through the Sermon on the Mount, greatest sermon ever preached, uh, most famous sermon ever preached by Jesus. And uh, we're going to try and cover a ton. I mean, what you just heard, we're going to cover a ton this morning. So if you're a note taker, go ahead and get out that pen and stretch out your fingers and make sure that thing's right and good. If you're not a note taker, you should be. You get you some notes. Um, go ahead and get your Bible out. If you don't have your Bible out, flip open to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be working through this. We've got um, seven points today. I don't normally preach seven points. That's, that feels like a lot. I normally pre- preach like three, maybe four points. Uh, so listen, I, there's no way I can say all the incredibly good stuff about each one of these things that Jesus says here. I'm just going to try and hit um, all of it and summarize it, and it's going to be helpful to us, I believe. Um, last week, we learned that Jesus sees things very differently than us. Like Lucius um, reminded us, we, we use the Stranger Things analogy. Anybody in here seen Stranger Things? Any, okay, good. Got at least a few of you. Stranger Things is this, was this hit TV show on Netflix, and, it, and it basically the idea was that there was this upside-down realm, this like terribly scary place that you could get trapped in. And, and if you get trapped in the upside down, it's like you can kind of hear things happening in the right side up, and you, 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 but you can't find your way out. And the whole point of the show is get out of there, right? 
We talked about last week that when we hear the words of Jesus, we oftentimes hear them and we think, what in the world is he talking about? And the reason we think that, the reason we have that reaction is because we're in the upside down. We, we hear things that he says and we think, that was upside down, Jesus, but the reality is he's the one that's right side up. And he's telling us about a kingdom that's right side up. And because we have all been living in the upside down our whole lives, when we hear about it, we go, what in the world is up with that? Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. What? But the reality is he is giving us a picture of what's right side up. Colossians 1.13 puts it this way. Colossians 1.13 says this. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, the upside down, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, the right side up. So he did this for those of us who are believers. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you get flipped, turned upside down, in the words of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. But actually, you get flipped, turned right side up. You just look upside down to everybody around you. And so here's the deal. And man, the, the, the analogy just keeps getting better. So if, if you've seen the show, when they, come, when they come out of the upside down and back into the right side up, they're like, they got all this goop and stuff all over them, right? And they're kind of sick and they gotta, they've got to recover, right? Anybody remember? Well, that's what happens with us. We've been in the upside down our whole lives. We get transferred into the kingdom of the beloved son, but we still got the goop and stuff of the upside down on us. And so we need the words of Jesus to come in and to cleanse us and to help us to think like we're supposed to think and live like we're supposed to live. So that's what we're hoping to do today. We're going to seven things. We're going to look at seven things that are characteristics of a person's life in the right side up. Pray with me again. Father, would you send your spirit to just teach us, change us, challenge us, encourage us, illuminate our understanding, tear down lies that we've believed, clean all the goop of the upside down off of us. I pray God teach us to live like right side up people in the right side up kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so note takers, point number one, the mindset of the right side up life. Trust God. The mindset of the right side up life is this, you trust God. Verse five, Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, If God has delivered us from the upside-down domain of darkness, then don't you think He can decide what's best for your life? If He's flipped you into right-side-up kingdom of His Son, He's delivered you from that domain of rebellion and darkness, 
Don't you think he knows what's best for your life? And if that's the case, then don't you think you can trust him? Meekness, here's my definition of meekness. Meekness is the quiet confidence that comes when a person totally trusts God to work things out in the best way for his glory and our good. I'll read that again. Meekness is the quiet confidence that comes when a person totally trusts God to work things out in the best way for his glory and our good. Meekness is often associated with gentleness. Sometimes the Greek word there for meekness gets translated gentleness. Well, it's, it's very similar, but it's different than gentleness. It, 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 it often looks like it manifests as gentleness in a person's personality because the meek person is not anxious. The meek person is not asserting their own will, not trying to force things to happen. The meek person knows God's got this. And so in, in these situations where somebody else might come in and say, no, 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 it has to go this way. The meek person says, it will if God wills. And I'll do what I can do and I'll leave the rest up to him. And so they come off very gentle. Um, so it's the opposite of self-promotion. It's the opposite of self-protection. Meekness of spirit is someone who rests that God's got this. So you don't have to manipulate people. You don't have to manipulate situations to, to achieve a desired outcome. You lay down anxiety and you lay down your own will on all things. So this is the mindset of someone whose world's been flipped right side up. Uh, Dallas Willard was once asked, if you could describe Jesus in only one word, how would you describe him? And he said, relaxed. Why, why would he? This is a deep thinker. Why would he say that? Why would he use that word? It's because Jesus was never anxious. He was perfectly meek, perfectly trusting. He always knew the Father would work things out the best way possible for his glory and our good. So, number two, the goal of the right side up life, please God. We've got the mindset of the right side up life. Now here's the goal of the right side up life. Please God. Verse six, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We don't naturally hunger and thirst for righteousness. Um, that's just not the way of the upside down. We hunger and thirst for whatever our old sinful nature desires. That's what we hunger and thirst for. We hunger and thirst for what I want, because I want it. That's what we hunger and thirst for. Jesus says there's something better to desire in life. There's something better to pursue in life. Something better to hunger and thirst for. Righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness is living rightly. 
It's living according to God's good design. And so when you get flipped right side up, you suddenly start to see, oh, there's a better way. God's way. God's way is better. When we are in the upside down, that domain is characterized by rebellion and rejection against God. The way that Romans 8 Verse 8 says it is, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The, the flesh, that old sinful nature, is opposed to God. So they cannot please God. Those who are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, they want to please God. They've been rescued by Him, redeemed by Him, adopted by Him. And so this, this idea of pleasing God comes up again and again and again in the New Testament. Listen to Colossians 1.10. Paul, praying for believers, says he prays that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Amen, Millie. Amen. First Thessalonians 2.4 says we should speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. 2 Corinthians 5.9 says, we make it our aim to please Him. This is what drives us. We live to please Him. And righteousness is the way that we live our lives so that it pleases Him. Fully pleasing to Him the way that Colossians 1.10 says. When a child has a loving father, a good father, it's only right and natural for that child to want to please their father. And we have the best father, a perfect father, who's adopted us. And so, what do people in the right side of kingdom hunger and thirst for? They hunger and thirst for righteousness, to please their father. All right, number three, the impulse of a right side up life. I didn't know what word to use here. Impulse, reaction, impulse works, okay? The impulse of a right side up life is mercy. To be merciful to others. Jesus says in verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Here's the thing. When your life gets flipped right side up, in order for that to happen, you had to be forgiven of every single sin you've ever committed or ever will commit against a perfectly holy God. If that doesn't blow your mind, you don't understand how huge that is. That's huge. To be forgiven of every offense, and we do this constantly. We are so good at offending God, at sinning against Him, at breaking His laws. We do it constantly. And so when we recognize this, that we've been forgiven of all of that, every bit of it, past, present, future, man, all of a sudden we begin to release bitterness and unforgiveness and criticism toward everybody. Here's the thing. When we recognize how much we've been forgiven of, how much is covered in our lives, we stop being the judge of everybody else. 
But when we think that our sin isn't so bad, we sure do know how to fix everybody around us, don't we? And we notice all the little things that we ought to correct or that they should have or that they need to or that because we just think we're not that bad. And so we've got it all figured out. Jesus tells this unbelievable story, um, this parable in Matthew chapter 18 to illustrate what that's like for a Christian to be critical and unforgiving and unmerciful. Listen to what he says. He says, he, I'm going to have to summarize it because it's long, but he says that there's this servant who, owns, who owes this immeasurable debt, and the one that he owes the debt to mercifully cancels it, forgives him of all of it. And then that servant goes to someone who owes him this little petty debt, and he demands that that person pay him. And then he ends the parable with this. Then the master summoned him, the servant, and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. You see, because the servant in this parable lost sight of the extravagant mercy that had been shown to him, he could not rightly show mercy to others. In order to grow in mercy, we've got to meditate on how much mercy we've received. How imperfect, how flawed we are, how much we needed grace. People in the right side up kingdom have the impulse to show mercy to those who wrong us, to people caught in sin, to the oppressed and the down and out, to the politicians that we disagree with. Uh oh. <laughs> to anyone in need. Mercy, that's our impulse. How could it not be in light of all we've been forgiven of? So, how do we become the kind of person who shows mercy to others? First of all, we got to see our sin first and most clearly. we got to see how undeserving we are of the forgiveness we've received. We've got to be amazed by grace. Meditate on it. So that the impulse of our lives is to show mercy to others. Number four. Number four. The indicator of a right side up life. A pure heart. This is the indicator of a right side up life. A pure heart. Number eight. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And I... It was so hard for me to shorten all these down. I want to preach a sermon on every one of these. Um, when we see, here, here's what he means, when, I think, when he says, they shall see God. Have you ever experienced those times in your life when you see God at work everywhere all around you? 
You see his hand on you and on the people around you, and you see the ways that he's blessing things, or you see the doors that he's closing, the ones that he's opening. You're hearing him speak in your quiet time. You feel him leading you at work, and he just made you have those words for that person in that conversation. That's what it means to see God. He, he says, the pure in heart, they shall see God. The Bible refers to the heart as the source of your life. The source of the words that you speak, the actions that you do, the, the desires that you have, all of that comes out of your heart. What's a pure heart? Well, if you say that, there's, that something is pure gold, what you're saying is there's, there's no other metals mixed in. It's just gold, right? If, if you say that it's pure water, it's just there's no other things mixed in. It's just water. A pure heart is not mixed. It's only got one desire, God. One love, God. It's not mixed with the flesh. The, the pure heart is, the Bible also talks about being wholehearted. It's a whole heart. The opposite of a pure heart is a divided heart or double-mindedness as James refers to it. It's divided. It's the, the heart that at one moment wants to be pleasing to God, the next wants to please self. That's Romans 7, that, if you're familiar with Paul's Romans. Romans 7, that's the divided heart. And so Jesus is saying, we want to have a pure heart a heart that is not divided, not mixed. Here's the good news for us. When we get delivered from the upside down and forgiven of all of our sins, we're given a new heart. We're given a brand new heart, a new source for life inside of us. And that heart has to grow Sort of. It's hard to explain, but it's like when you're given this new heart, you still have the old flesh to battle against. And a pure heart is being more and more led by this new nature that God has given you. Less and less divided, less and less bouncing back and forth. But in the end, you and I will stand before God with a pure heart because of one thing, because of the blood of Jesus. There, there's no person who's ever had a truly pure heart except for him. And so when we stand before, before God at the end, the only way our hearts will be truly pure is if the blood of Jesus has covered us and we get credited for Jesus' perfectly pure heart. And yet, in the meantime, Remember, the kingdom is already not yet. In the meantime, we strive to grow in purity of heart. We purify ourselves as He is pure. Number five, the work of a right-side-up life. Reconciliation. What am I supposed to be working on while I am in this right-side-up kingdom? Listen to what Jesus says, 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. All right. Think about this. If you've been transferred into the right side up kingdom, you have experienced, you have benefited from the greatest peace treaty ever. The domain of darkness, Colossians 1.13 talks about, is a, it is a domain that is characterized by rebellion. It is a rebellion. It's anarchy. It's high treason against the king. And then the king says, you know, I'll come pay the debt. For the, for the treason against me, I'll come pay the debt for them. I'll come and die in order to pay the debt in their place. And so, when we bring peace in circumstances between people, in our family, in our workplace, between those that are offended or wronged, when we bring peace into a situation, we are acting like our Father in heaven. Our Father obviously loves peace. He sent His only Son to die and shed His blood in order to purchase peace. And so when we bring peace, we are acting like our Father. We're instructed to be kind and patient with each other, united in Christ so that the world can know that the Father sent the Son. The opposite of a peacemaker is a divider. And the Bible has some of its harshest words for dividers. I had to pick just a couple. Romans 16, 17 says, I appeal to you, brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions. Titus 3.10 says, as for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once, then twice, have nothing more to do with him. That's harsh. You think God likes division? No, not at all. Peacemakers are not to be divisive, quarrelsome, or gossips. Titus 3.2 says, speak evil of no one. Avoid quarreling. Be gentle. Show perfect courtesy toward all people. That's what a peacemaker does. So peacemakers build community. They build relationships with those who are outside of the family of God so that they can come to know Him. And they build community. They build relationships, especially within the family of God. Because God loves it when His kids get along. And so if you're a community builder, you are blessed. You're a peacemaker. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 1.10 says. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's some strong words. That all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. That's what a peacemaker works toward in the family of God. And then secondly, peacemakers appeal to those outside of the family of God 
so that there can be peace between them and God. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 5.20 says. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So we can work toward peace between people and God, imploring people to be reconciled with him. And when we do that, we're doing the work of a right-side-up life, and we're acting like our Father in heaven. Number six. Number six. The downside of the right-side-up life. Persecution. The downside of the right-side-up life. And you might say, it's not a downside. Well, I mean... Listen to what he says. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Now talk about a statement that sounds upside down to us. If you've ever experienced intense criticism, rejection, slander, because of your faith in Christ, you know this kind of hurts, right? And when I say kind, I mean like a lot. It hurts. And Jesus doesn't say it won't hurt. He says, you're blessed when this happens. Why would he say that? Well, just to hammer a point home, if the world we're living in is upside down and really the kingdom of heaven is right side up, then doesn't it only make sense that when we live right side up lives as kingdom, of, as, as kingdom citizens, that those still in the upside down will reject us and speak evil against us? Remember, the upside down is a realm characterized by rejection of God. That's the story of the whole Bible in a nutshell. Defined by rejection of God. And so, when we're rejected for being followers of Jesus, that means we're on the right team. We should say, praise God, I'm on the right team. Oh, thank you. They're, They're maligning me. They're lying about me. They're making up stuff. They're gossiping. I didn't get the promotion because I'm a Christian. Thank you, God. I'm on the right team. You see, Jesus says, when that happens, you're in good company. Jesus warns us. He says, woe unto you when all men speak well of you. He says, You want to know when you're in trouble? It's when everyone likes you. Because if everyone in the world likes us, then it's probably because they don't see us as any different. This is just one of those things where we cannot have our cake and eat it too. Either... We'll choose to be identified with Jesus and therefore rejected by the world. 
Or, we can choose to be accepted by the world, and in the end, we'll be rejected by Jesus. That's what he says. And so, (laughs) Jesus wants to really flip our thinking right side up. He wants us to recognize the blessing in being rejected by an upside-down world. He says, verse 12, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The prophets were the right team. And when we are rejected like they were rejected, it says to us, I'm on the right side of things. And there's a reward waiting for me on the other side. Number seven, last one. Thanks for sticking with me. I know this a lot. How should we live while we're still in the upside down? How should we live? Listen to what Jesus says. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Here's where things get tricky for us. We're flipped right side up. We're given a new mindset, new goal to pursue, new impulse, a new heart, new work to do. And we're still living in an upside-down world, getting rejected by the upside-down world. But right after Jesus tells us that, that some people in this world are going to persecute us, reject us, he goes on to say, But some are going to see your light, and they're going to be drawn to it. This is exciting. You see, God leaves us in the upside down so that we can rescue more people out of it. Through our lives, The fact that some are going to reject us does not mean we build a bunker and batten down the hatches and hold on tight until the end comes. It does not mean that we remain a closet Christian in our workplace and we don't tell anybody that we have faith in Jesus, that we pray, that we've been transformed. That's not the way. Because when you do that, the people in the upside down just keep going about their lives as normal. You've got to be somebody. I think it was John Wesley said, I want to be a fork in the road for every single person that encounters me. Either you can stay in the upside down or you can enjoy life in the right side up. 
And so, let it be known. Church, let it be known that you're different. So when people are going about their lives in, without hope in this broken and upside-down world, they, they meet a real Christian, somebody whose life looks upside-down to them. They see that we have a different mindset, a calm, quiet trust in God. We have a different goal that we're living for to please our Father. That we have a different impulse in life showing mercy to people. We have different desires that are pure. That we bring peace into the places that we live and work. And some people who see it will want it. And then, and then you can tell them about your new king. You can invite them to believe in and trust and follow the king of the right side up kingdom. Tell them that he died so they could be forgiven and that he was raised to life so they could live forever with him. Let's pray. Father, God, I pray for those who are here this morning, those who are joining us online or listening to this later on, who, God, they don't know yet what it's like in the right side up. Maybe, maybe they've been checking things out from a distance for a while, and today is the day that you flip their lives right side up. God, I pray for those people. Would you give them the courage to step out of the darkness into the light? Give them the courage to lay down their sin, their rebellion, their rejection of you, to change their mind, to turn and go toward you, to embrace Jesus, to believe that Jesus died for them on a cross was buried and rose on the third day to offer them life. God, give new hearts. In Jesus' name, we ask it. And help those of us who've had our lives turned right side up to live like it. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.